Today we want to give the warmest welcome to the members of the Community Adventist Fellowship and a very special welcome to our viewers across Canada, the United States of America, down into the Caribbean, and also our viewers across the great land of Russia. Our topic today is the Great Deluge, the great flood that destroyed the world in the days of Noah. Did you know, friend, that there are many, many ancient civilizations that have what are called flood traditions? We believe, of course, that these go back to a common source. The ancient Babylonians have a story that you can actually read in the cuneiform that's called the Gilgamesh Epic. And the Gilgamesh Epic is about a special character whose name is Utnapishtim. And Utnapishtim was told by the gods that there was a great flood coming and he was told to get on a boat, to build a boat and get on a boat. Very similar to the story of the Bible. We believe it is a story that has, and all these stories have a common root, a common origin. Altogether, historians and archaeologists have discovered 81 stories that are believed with a similar line, similar theme around the world among ancient peoples. Of course, we've all heard of the city of Atlantis. It is another one of these stories. It goes back, of course, to the story of the great deluge which is found in the Bible. Would you please take your Bible today and would you turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. And before we read these historical words, I would like to say today that of course there is a great deal of geological evidence for a worldwide flood. I don't plan to get into that today because a few weeks ago I spoke on evolution versus creationism and we spoke about some of the evidences there for a worldwide flood. But suffice it is to say today that the whole earth, almost the whole earth, is covered with sedimentary rock filled with billions of fossils and some of these stratas are more than three miles in depth. The whole story of the earth is the story of water, water, water. Please notice Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, the flood. And I'm reading today from the New International Version. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them. I want you to notice, when men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The first thing I want you to notice, it says here in verse 1, that there was a rapid increase in population. Sometimes we have a limited concept of what the world of the antediluvians must have been like. But some scholars have made a calculated guess which is based upon strong evidence, it is quite possible that the world of Noah 
was a world of hundreds of millions of people. It is quite possible. Uh, it is also true to say that these people were sophisticated, intelligent people. The idea of the cavemen has no authenticity at all. I don't believe that these, these were people who were swinging by their tails uh, on branches, but I believe that they were people who had uh, who were a super race capable of amazing achievements. I don't want to speculate today about some of their amazing achievements. But let me just say this to stir up your pure minds. In Egypt, going back thousands of years, and I'm a little bit of an authority on Egyptology, I've studied it for years, they have discovered what even looks like a plane that can fly. If you pick it up, if you throw it, it glides perfectly. It obeys all the laws of flying. They have discovered in ancient parts of the world batteries. Batteries. Positive, negative forces. Batteries. We know that the people who built the pyramids were not barbarians. And yet suddenly these races appear on the scene and they seem to be the inheritors of tremendous knowledge. This is why some people have said the ancients could not have done these things, therefore they needed beings from outer space. And this is a theory that is believed by millions. But there is another theory. No, they didn't get these ideas from beings from outer space, but they got these ideas from a super race that perished. And uh, today we know that there was a super race and we know that millions of the ancients believed and had traditions about a great race that perished. Now I want you please to notice verse 2. We don't have time to explore all of those thoughts though even though they're very interesting. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then if you come to verse 4 it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. Now this verse introduces a new concept, a very interesting concept. It talks about the sons of God and the daughters of men. If you read this verse in some rather liberal translations of the scriptures, it says the angels came down to this earth. And so the sons of God were angels, uh, supernatural beings, fallen angels, and they married the daughters of men, and they produced a super race, and they were the Nephilim. The word Nephilim is translated, I think, erroneously in the King James Version by the term, there were giants in the land in those days. It's better to stick with the Hebrew, the Nephilim, this race of Nephilim. Now when you read the New Testament, Jesus says, I think it is Matthew 22 off the top of my head, Jesus said, it is impossible for angels to marry or reproduce. Some of you folks seem quite relieved about that. I see amens for all types of strange things. That is also the verse that says, 
that in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. I sincerely hope your amens were not for that. <laughs> but it says, Jesus says, that angels are incapable of reproducing. Therefore, I do not believe this is talking about angels, even though fallen angels, coming and sleeping with earthly women and producing a monster race. In the scriptures, the expression sons of God is often used concerning the, the children of God, the followers of Seth. And back in these days, there were two distinct lines of human beings. There were the sons of Cain, lawless, godless, opposed to God. They were the sons of men. And there were the sons of God who were the followers of the truth of God. And for a long, long time, both these classes, the good and the evil, remained separate. But the Bible says, in the end, the sons of God, the followers of Seth, joined with the daughters of men. And the distinction between the holy and the unholy was obliterated. I ask you, does this say anything about the marriage of believers with non-believers? When I turn to the book of Corinthians, we won't have time for that today, but the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked together with non-believers. I believe that a Christian believer should never marry a non-believer. The Bible says, don't do it. I remember hearing the great Dr. Billy Graham preaching on verses like these, and he spoke about the marriage of the sons of God with the daughters of men. And I can remember Dr. Billy Graham crying out in his inimicable style. He said, if you are keeping company with a non-believer, my daughter, and if you're planning to marry him and he is not a believer in God, Billy said, Drop him and drop him fast. So these verses talk about the degeneracy and the corruption of the human race when the sons of God married the daughters of men. Uh, I want you to um, read on a little further, would you please? I want you to notice Genesis 6, and I want you to notice this verse about the Nephilim. This is interesting. Verse 4 says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. And then, please, I want you to notice verse 5. The Lord saw. Now, the King James Version says God saw, but the Hebrew word is Yahweh, and this is a better translation. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Let me tell you a little bit about the Nephilim. Uh, it is believed by some that they were giants, uh, much bigger than the rest of the human race. But if uh, we can understand some other passages of the scriptures are right, 
it appears that all the antediluvians were giants. And so these people were not distinguished by their stature. The word Nephilim comes from the Hebrew word Nephal, which means violent. And the Nephilim were the violent ones or the terrorists of their day. What does it sound like to you? What does it sound like to you? Does it not sound a little bit like our own day? Would you please read on these verses as it describes the human race in the days of the great patriarch Noah. Verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. God is capable of suffering. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to talk a little bit about the social scene back in those days because I believe it is parallel in the days of our own age. People say to me, do you really take these verses literally? I do. And I will tell you why. Because Jesus did. Jesus said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah. Jesus believed in Noah. I believe that Jesus was the son of God. And if Jesus believed it, then I believe it. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the last day. He said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. Therefore, as a believer in Jesus, I'm also a believer in Noah. And Jesus said there would be a parallel between the days of Noah and our day. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days, the days preceding the second coming. Have you ever wondered, I'm sure you have, why is there so much crime and violence? Have you ever wondered why this city of Los Angeles, which I have grown to love because I've lived here now for about eight years, and I know so many wonderful people in Los Angeles, have you ever wondered, though, why the inner cities and so many other parts of the land and the world are filled with the Nephilim? The Nephilim, the violent, the evil. What is the cause of it? I've listened to some liberal politicians, socialists. I've listened to some liberal preachers and I've heard them say over and over and over again ad nauseum that poverty is the cause of crime. These people back there couldn't plead that, my friend. These were the wealthiest people in the world, the Nephilim. The world was filled with abundance. They were tremendously wealthy and they were tremendously evil. I do not believe that poverty is the cause of crime. I believe that crime is the cause of poverty. 
You look at our inner cities where crime is the worst, poverty is the worst. I do not believe that a person is forced into crime because he is poor. Last night, because my mother is old now and sick, I call her regularly, and I called her last night. She never, never complains about her pains. And I said to her, Mom, do you remember as a little boy when we lived at Somerset Dam? She said, you remember that? I said, yes, I have a good memory. <laughs> I got it from you. I said, remember when Dad and you and the two girls took us to that big family where they had the pine board kitchen table, the scrubbed white kitchen table? She said, do you remember that? You must have been only two or three. Oh, I said, what a remarkable son you must have, mother. <laughs> Pardon me. She said, <laughs> she said, tell me more about it. I said, there was a man sitting at the end of the table, and he had a Bible, and he was reading from the Bible, and there were a bunch of boys and girls sitting around the table. Do you remember that? She said, that was Snowy Pound and his family. Poor but upright, honest, decent, law-abiding. Don't believe the lie of the liberal that poverty is the cause of crime. Poor people can be as righteous as any person on the face of the earth, and more so, and more so. I believe very much in the theology of taking responsibility for my own actions. Don't you get tired of the lawyers, the barristers, when they're pleading the case for a person who's committed a terrible crime, like murdering his parents, and the attorney will say, the parents were not the victims, the boy or the boys were. They were deprived as little ones. They didn't get a candy bar when they should have got it. And therefore, it all welled up and they murdered their parents. Poor little innocent things. Hogwash. Don't you get sick and tired of these liberal people who plead like this when a criminal is caught in the act and they say, if anybody, your honor, is guilty, it's society. We made him what he was. I didn't. He's not responsible. Why, the poor fellow. He couldn't help himself. He just stole the car. And your honor, if anybody is guilty, we're guilty. And the jury starts crying. Hogwash, I tell you. The Bible teaches that sin is a choice, is a choice, is a choice. And you and I are personally responsible for our transgressions. And this is the story of these people back here. I can think of my own parents. Don't talk to me just about poverty because I have known poverty. 
Before I was born, my father lost everything in the days of the Depression with a wife and two daughters lived in a little place down at Sandgate, a suburb of Brisbane in Queensland in Australia. Would you like to know how much he was paid a week to bring up a, fam a wife and two little daughters? He received from his employer one pound. Would you like to know what a pound is? Not 16 ounces. A pound is two dollars. You know how they survived? By hard work and by buying ripe bananas. Because bananas could be purchased if they were ripe for one penny or a cent a pound. Hard work and bananas. That is a part of my theology. <laughs> I love bananas. If anybody wishes to win my heart, they need only show me a banana. <laughs> my love I've discovered last night for bananas is not only by example, I believe it is built inside me genetically. <laughs> but I want to tell you, you can be brought up on semi-bad bananas and you can be so poor that you have no shoes and I have known this and you have no reason to plead that this is the reason for a life of crime or sin. A person, my friend, is personally responsible for his own lifestyle and so were these people back in the days of Noah. They were what they were because they chose to be what they were. Sin is always by choice. Nobody can force you to sin. Do not believe the hogwash of the victim syndrome. Why were these people back here in the days of Noah so debased and so evil? Come over here to Romans chapter 3 and it tells you Dear hearts and gentle people, and I hope that my audience that's watching across North America and the Caribbean, I hope you're following these texts in your Bible. We are a Bible-reading, Bible-believing church. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, as I've said before, we encourage you to bring your Bibles to church and to read your Bibles every day. Romans 3, verse 13, it describes the evil... Their throats are open graves. Every time they open their mouths, there is a bad smell because of their depravity. Not to be taken literally, of course. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. They are liars. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the reason. Not poverty, not lack of opportunity, but lack of the fear of God. What does this expression, fear of God, mean? We should not be afraid of God in the sense that we're afraid of an awful person. But the term fear in this context means a healthy respect. 
and awesome respect. God is not just like us. We don't treat him just like us. He is the almighty God. We treat him with awe. We treat him with respect. And the Bible said about the people back in there these days, there was no fear of God before their eyes. Tell me, my friend, how can you respect a person made in the image of God if you do not respect God? How can you? Hey, if you want to know, this is just a trivial thing, why people are great in this part of the world with gra graffiti. They don't care about rubbishing up somebody's wall. They don't respect that person. Why don't they respect that person? Because they don't respect God. Why is it that people will walk beside a new car and take out a key and say, take that? Evil. No respect for God. If you don't respect God, you don't respect man. And if you don't respect man, you won't respect his property, will you? There is no fear of God before their eyes. What is needed, my friend, in this part of the world, what is needed in this world is a rebirth of respect for Almighty God. Amen. But the Nephilim and the people back here had no respect for God. And thus God said, judgment is going to come. Because judgment always comes. Would you please read on in this remarkable chapter. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, the creatures that move along the ground, uh, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me talk now about grace. I meet so many people and they say the Old Testament is just law and the New Testament is just grace. I've had preachers say to me, but there's no grace in the Old Testament, none at all. Those people were saved by keeping the commandments. You can't be saved by keeping the commandments. That's impossible. But the Bible tells me, and this is a glorious verse, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Even though the world was filthy, even though there was pornography everywhere you turn, even though people were violent, even though the Nephilim was in the land, even though there were gangs. How many gangs in Los Angeles? How many people in gangs in Los Angeles? Is it 60,000, 70,000? The Nephilim. People of violence, people of hatred. But the Bible says in the midst of this putrid sewer, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I want to remind every person here today the grace is only extended to sinners. Noah, before he sinned, didn't need grace. Angels in their perfection do not need grace. But John Carter needs grace and you need grace because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that even those things were depraved and things seemed to be so bad that there was no hope of regeneration, the Bible says that God looked down into the sewer and it made his nose uncomfortable because of the smell of the sewer. But he saw there a man who was upright and the Bible says perfect. And that word perfect doesn't mean sinless because if he was sinless, he wouldn't have needed grace. 
But the word perfect there is translated in this translation, any other good translation, by the word blameless. God said, here is a man who is blameless. And this man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I hope, my friend, that you and I will find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Don't you? If you want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord, you need to show grace to other people. Did you hear this? We live in a rather uncivilized society and a barbaric society. And I've heard some people say, I never apologize. Well, my friend, don't even bother thinking you're going to heaven, because you're not. Because if you don't apologize, you don't show any grace. And if you don't show any grace, it's because you haven't got any. Only a person who has received grace can deliver grace. And by the grace of God, Christians need to be kind and gracious people. And if you and I can't forgive people who are mean and ugly and irritable and pains in the neck, don't expect that we're going to get to heaven. Because grace is given to sinners. And the Bible tells me that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I hope in these last days, in this city, I hope that I will find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Don't you? Amen. Don't you want to have grace? Amen. How did God reveal his grace? I have here five points. Firstly, by the revelation of a gospel of mercy. God said to Eve and to Adam, the seed of the woman is going to come. And he's going to do that old serpent in. And so Noah became the recipient of a gospel of grace. Thank God for the seed of the woman, I say. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, firstly, by a gospel of mercy. Secondly, God showed grace to those people by a ministry of mercy, by raising up a succession of pious men to preach the gospel of grace and warn against sin. God had a holy line of Sethites, and those men like Enoch and Seth and Noah were raised up by God. Thank God for faithful preachers of the gospel and don't ask your preacher to be popular ask him to be honest and truthful thirdly God showed grace to Noah and to those people by a spirit of mercy to strive with them the Bible says my spirit will not always strive with man thank God for a spirit of grace that strives so he showed grace through the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, God showed grace by giving to them a time of mercy. Even though they had filled up their cup of iniquity, God said, mercy a little more. As Jesus said of the barren fig tree, don't cut it down, give it another little bit of time, give it another year or so. God said to the antediluvians, Give them another 120 years. How long is God going to give you and me? 
How long is God going to give to these great cities that are filled with evil? When we had the last earthquake up at Northridge through there, the first places that were struck and destroyed were the pornography houses. I say this to our shame. America is the main producer of pornography in the world. Not the Russians, not the communists, but Christian America turns out more pornography to pollute the world than any other nation. Judgment is coming. How long do we have? How long do we have before Los Angeles is a burning heap destroyed by the wrath of God? How long do you have? The Bible says there's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord where the cry of His Spirit is lost. As you travel along with the pleasure-mad throng, have you counted, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost, though you gain the whole world for your own? Even now it may be that the line you have crossed. Have you counted, have you counted the cost? God said, 120 years. What's he saying to you, 120 minutes? And then he showed grace, fifthly, by giving an example of mercy, by out of the corruption of that world, saving Noah and his family. The Bible says Noah was an upright man, a just man, and perfect in his ways. Righteous means upright, honest, perfect means blameless. It does not mean that he lived in a state of sinlessness, but rather of moral rectitude. Now notice verses 10 to 17. Verses 10 to 17. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that's why he was a blameless man. Let me talk for a moment on God's mercy. 
But I want you to know today that even though God's mercy is full and free and cannot be earned, there's a limit to God's mercy. Some time ago, I was visiting the city of Washington. I think it was at the Lincoln Memorial where Lincoln speaks about the evil of slavery. Many of the problems that America is facing today is because the sin she committed in the past in slavery. America sowed to the wind, she is reaping the whirlwind. It isn't over. And Lincoln said, when I think of slavery, and let me say to my black brothers, not all whites were in favor of slavery. Don't think that. The man who brought about the emancipation of the slaves was Lincoln, a white man. And Lincoln said, when I think of the sin that one man should be owned by another man, he said, my soul trembles for my nation because I know this truth. God is just and justice cannot sleep forever there is a clock ticking for America listen to it there is a clock of judgment ticking for America and ticking for you and for me Despise not the mercy of God. I went up to see my dear friend Dr. Rose Pitt to check on some information that I had almost forgot. Outside the city of Kingston in Jamaica is the remain or are the remains of what was called the most wicked city in the world. A city of the pirates down on the Spanish main. Port Royal. And there came an earthquake and a mighty wave, and Port Royal, with all its evil, sank beneath the waves and sleeps there today. My message to you is despise not the mercy of God as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Would you please read on? Genesis chapter 7. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, or seven pairs, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all, all that the Lord commanded him. I can't get into the theology of this, but it is interesting that the repopulation of the animal world was on the basis of clean and unclean animals, and this was given before the Jewish nation. But God said, the time has come, Noah. Now go into the ark. 
In seven days' time, I'm going to let it come. The flood's going to come. And so Noah and his family went into the ark. I want you to notice this. Verse 6 and onwards. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. Listen, this was a miracle of God. And yet the people were so blinded by their sin that they couldn't recognize the miracle of God. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. This verse here refers back to what happened back there seven days before. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Think about this. God said, the time has come, go into the ark. The animals come. It's a miracle. But the unbelievers stand outside and they say, silly old Noah with all the animals. They laugh about it. The Bible said they were scoffers. They go into the ark. Everyone is in the ark. And then the Almighty comes down from heaven and with his own hand swings that mighty door on the hinges and the door is shut. Probation has closed. The door of mercy is closed. Jesus said as it was, it's going to be in, this, in the same way in the last days. The door of mercy is going to close a short while before the return of Christ. The door is closed. Then seven days go by, seven days of revelry. The people outside are laughing their heads off. How, how is it in there with the donkeys, Noah? Oh, it must be funny in there. Must be smelly in there. But after seven days in the midst of their revelry, the heavens break in two and the voice of God is heard. And it starts to rain. Noah had preached to those people for 120 years, poured his heart out. He'd given the last appeal. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But there comes a time when it's too late. Would you please notice Genesis 6? I ask you, is it going to be too late for you, friend? Genesis chapter 7, rather. Verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. Up she rises. Up she goes. Outside there is the wail of the lost. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water. 
They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures, a swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. I say to you, my friend, this is not a folk story. This is the truth. And Jesus, our Lord, said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. I have a message for you today. Get on board. Get inside the ark. Do you know what the ark represents? The ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark was a way of safety through the storm. It had an opening in its side. Upon the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ had his side opened that sinners might approach the heart of God. Jesus is the ark. I say to you today, while there is still mercy and opportunity, come inside the door.